Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Tomas Sav. It's at Lingua Franca, uh, August 9, 2019. Thanks so much for joining us yeah. today. Uh, let's start with the important question, which is why wine? I love wine. What's not to be loved into this, this thing, you know? Um, why wine? I, um, I grew up in, a, in northeast of France, um, an hour and a half away from Germany. Uh, family's from Burgundy. And uh, I went to medical school for a couple of years, and I didn't work out the way I wanted to, so I had to like redirect my career. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I was in this moment in my life, and my parents were talking about, oh yeah, you need to like do like long career type of study, and you know, you look at low school and like all this thing, and then I was like, no. It's not the thing I want to do, and uh, I've been a little wine nerd since I'm like 15 because in France we can have access to wine mm -hmm. at an early day, early age. I hope they can change this country; that would be great. <laughs> um, and uh, and I was like, I'm gonna do something fun and some things that I love. Why would I just do something that I I'm not sure about? So so I went to Dijon and. Um, went to University of Wine uh, UVV, uh, Jules Guillot, where I studied a bachelor in viticulture and then I kept just kept going. I just did a master in viticulture and master in winemaking. And uh, that's wine. That's wine. That's where, uh, that's where wine started, you know. I just, just like it. It's fun. It's like the things that is, you have agriculture and you have making and you have sales it's a very unique industry yeah when you, you mentioned being interested in it from 15 or so what was it about it that originally appealed to you well as I said you know my, my, my dad is from Burgundy mm -hmm. and so uh, I have this like you know cultural attachment to the source of the grapes um, and my, my grandparents are really good friends with winemakers and wine growers in Burgundy and some of my family members are really close to like some of them too and so I was like okay um, every Sunday you know since I'm a kid I'm just like seeing all this bottle of wine open and it's kind of this trophy on the table oh this is good this is all this is good vintage <laughs> and uh, it's it's very like something pretty fascinating when you just start really early you know I was I was getting probably like a taste when I was a kid, like six years old, just like, can I taste, you know? And then um, my granddad has a cellar and then, and I was just like, let's, let's, let's have a cellar for myself. <laughs> I did my little spot in my granddad's cellar and then, then I get a subscription on the crown of Wine Spectator in France and all this thing. And uh, just like, it became like kind of a, a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. And I just realized, wow, it's super interesting. Like there is so many, region it's like you grow so much like it's a big part of the agriculture in France actually 
it's funny, but it's like I think when I was in school, we we said that it's five percent of the agricultural surface in France, but it carry like the second biggest export income for France mm -hmm. after plane sales. Wine. Interesting. So it's 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 a big thing, you know, yeah. and. Um, as I said, it's very unique and complete, from agriculture to like sales to making to like it's it's a great it's a great industry. You mentioned going to school and then sort of staying in school and getting continuing education. Tell me about your educational experience, uh, and then why you chose to continue it. You mean like uh, in the wine in the wine well, industry? Yeah, you so you went to college. And well, you got I think degrees. I think that uh, you know it's and it's also my personality. I just I can never stop, you know, <laughs> uh, and so I just was learning about viticulture and I'm like what's what's after viticulture and so I was like okay let's let's do let's talk about how to make wine and then you know you had a bachelor and then after bachelor's you a master's and after master's you a PhD I'm, I'm glad I didn't do a PhD <laughs> but uh, it's like um, I did two masters it was like a lot of work but it was fun um, and education you just like keep learning and at one point there was a ceiling you're just like okay so I feel like I'm okay theory I, I understand what's going on mm -hmm. and then that's where like you like I would say like gets you hit the wall mm -hmm. because in theory you know a lot but the practice is very very important mm -hmm. and I think that's a big message for the whole industry people people my age or I mean I would say like younger that are just gonna come in the industry it's like we, know, we go to school and we learn a lot and we just think that we're ready. We're not. <laughs> You're never ready. <laughs> every, every year there's something new. So. so tell me about that. Tell me about the practice. Tell me about getting into actually doing wine. Well, so um, I, had, I started with a disadvantage a little bit because um, coming from medical school, a lot of people that I met in my bachelor degree in, vit in viticulture already had a technical degree and worked in wine and vineyard since like a couple of years already. So for me, I just came like, I was like meeting all these great people that just knew how a pump works, how a press works, how, and for me, I was like, I don't know anything about that. So what I did is like, I was trying to like mix um, experiences during harvest and also like during the weekend and go to like working places. I mean. Burgundy, you know, Dijon is just north of like Côte d'Or, so it's, I mean, it's in the Côte d'Or, but north of, north of other wine region, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I was able to like go and work harvest and meet people, and then uh, so I was learning as it goes, and then I was very fortunate to work in very good estates and all this in Burgundy, and trying to work towards like people that are very close to the hearse small family-oriented winery mm -hmm. um, before I went to California and I worked for a very large one. <laughs> before we get to that, uh, we'll talk about you getting to the United States. I'm mm -hmm. curious, between the theory you were learning and then the practice you actually did, what mm -hmm. were the biggest differences? What was it that you were unprepared for from that you had to get your You never to prepared to like work in a cellar, I think. Like you know the theory, but you have a, a, every cellar are very different. You have to adapt yourself. There is a there is basic techniques, but you you need to adapt yourself like about which one you're gonna make, how is gonna how is gonna flow. Mm -hmm. The old wineries that I design here is based on like just a flow of like how we would make this wine. Um, some other winery wouldn't like to work here, um, 
And so, um, the theory, you know a lot, but you have to like, you have to be very much like open mm -hmm. uh, on how like the practice is going to be into it. But once again, I think there is no like right or wrong. Um, a lot of people start practicing and then study. And there is people that do the theory and then practice. Mm -hmm. And there's some people that try to do both at the same time. And and I think that you, you ha it's a symbiosis. You cannot. You have to do both. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not going to work well. So tell me about the decision to come to, to come to America. Why did you end? How did you end up in California? Uh, in California. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is like when I decided not to go to medical school, I had to take a little time to just mm -hmm. charge the battery, understand what was going on, you know. And then my uncle lives in New York, and um, I just left. I went to I went to New York to spend um, spend like. Uh, six months in New York uh, with my uncle in 2007. Um, I liked a lot the, I liked the people in the US, like the diversity, the entrepreneurship, the, I don't know, something was very great about mm -hmm. this country. And so that experience, I, I was like, okay, let's, let's, you know, I'm gonna go back to France and I would like to like do maybe an internship one year somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, whenever I um, had the opportunity to do this two master's degree at once, I was, I only found a place, one place in the world that was able to kind of allow me to do this core research. And so I was, um, I decided to, uh, to go to work for Gallo. And the reason why I did it is because I think that I've always been working for small, family-oriented, um, estate, and then I was like, if I don't see the big one, even though I'm not going to really want to work with it, I'm going to regret it. Mm -hmm. And the context of working for them was focusing on research, and my degrees were research, so so I went, and um, I was amazing. Well, I met my wife, that's also the reason why I came here, because the reason why I'm in the US is because of a beautiful American woman. <laughs> it's a good reason to come. Yeah. yeah and then, um, and so, so yeah, we were in Modesto, and Amy, uh, Amy, my wife, she's from Arkansas, and she, um, she is food science, food scientist, specialized in sensory, and then she, uh, she did her internship there, and then, I think clicked, and and then uh, we decided to, um, first of all, stay together, which was great, <laughs> and then after that we uh, did a long distance relationship for a while, and then we. Uh, I was like, well, California is great, but we lived in Modesto, and sorry, guys. <laughs> it was just like, Oregon might be better for us. <laughs> and a lot of attraction to the Burgundian being here and the smaller community, and I've tasted quite a bit of wine um, from Oregon as I was, not enough, but a little bit there and there. And one wine came, one wine brought me here. One. What was that? Um, so, in 2012, was, was a year after my expense at Gallo, I was very fortunate to work at uh, Domaine de la Romaine Conti for a year and a change. Um, and um, we, I don't know how, if you know how harvest work, but at least how harvest work with me, it's like we set a good lunch table, mm -hmm. we open a couple of bottles of wine, 
just relax, spend time together. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very tough, you know, harvest is, is very tough and we work a lot. So we decided to, so that's what we do and, um, you know, work hard, play hard type of thing. Mm -hmm. And at DRC, we were pressing the red and I came on Saturday morning at a 10 in the morning, there was a snack time where you just cut some saucisson and pate and a little glass of wine. So they gave me the key of their cellar uh, they're still where they have like you know collection of uh, exchange bottles mm -hmm. and uh, I um, I uh, found two bottles of wine I found like a Rhone Valley white wine and then I found a Christam 95 mm -hmm. Marjorie Vineyards I open it I put a sock around it and I blind taste people and um, it was absolutely amazing and so I was like okay this is this is it this is another Mark from me is like, I want to come here. Mm -hmm. So that was a wine. Thanks to Steve Donner, who's now a good friend of mine. Huh? Yeah. A neighbor. <laughs> neighbor, and he, yeah, he also makes his own personal wine here. Um, oh, really? And, yeah, so it's, it's very interesting how this industry is like, bring people together. And, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So before we get back to Oregon, I'm curious mm -hmm. about your experience at Gallo. You mentioned research base. So what were you working on at Gallo? I cannot say, oh. unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it was interesting. interesting. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It was, uh, it was based on maturity, different project, but um, it's, their research is very, you know, involved into um, a lot of different things and they cover so many acreage and they're always trying to learn. This is the best research and development, probably viticulture and winery lab in the whole planet. So that was very interesting and I'm sorry. It's okay? Yeah. So tell me about, you, you made the decision to come to Oregon, so mm -hmm. tell me about what happens next. After Oregon? How, or how did, you, how, did you find your, how did you find your way to Oregon? How did you find a spot to be here? Um, so what I did is, um, when I was an uh, intern at, at Romane Conti, I, I, uh, I decided to, uh, to talk to uh, Aubert de Villene and I asked him, a lot of people kind of pushed me to say like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to make Pinot and Chardonnay. And they very frank to me, it's like, you're not going to be able to make it in Burgundy. I was just like, really? It's like, that's not cool. <laughs> and uh, and the reason why it's very they they were tr they were right and that was the truth. It's like it's you know I don't have a families that own vineyards and more and more it's harder and harder to get like holdings and even starting a, you know starting like something from scratch by buying fruit it's absolutely complicated. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I was already dating Amy at this time, and then I was like pretty interested in coming back to do an internship. And so, um, did some research, taste all this wine, and, and I was like, you know, why not? Oregon can be fun. Like, I did a lot of research, and I learned a lot of things. You know, you go and like, oh yeah, like, this is the same like latitude as Burgundy. No, this is actually not. Oregon <laughs> is not in the same latitude of Burgundy. Okay. And where, you know what, where we are here. Mm -hmm. We're in the same latitude of Bordeaux, mm -hmm. which is amazing, right? So it's all marketing thing. And, but, um, but I love the connection with Burgundy, with the Drouin family, with other people. And then, uh, you know, Aubert de Vienne was very kind of saying like, well, there is so many great wineries that I know, like, you know, Adelsheim. And mm -hmm. so I send letters, resume, email letters and I uh, applied for like around like I don't know 12 harvest position but what I did I broke my piggy bank and I said I want to come here and if I come here I want to stay 
So I'm going to come in person. So I come in person and I met probably like 95% of the people you interviewed. And then um, I had two great offer for as an intern, you know, and one was to work for Laurent Montelieu mm -hmm. and one was from working for Evening Land. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to Evening Land just because I don't know, for me it was a very the Chardonnay the Chardonnay thing kind of mm -hmm. it's like hmm there is some Chardonnay and they seem to make really good Chardonnay. So I wanted to like learn more about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I came to work for Evening Land with Isabelle Meunier and uh, under her. Uh, it was a great experience. A few changes happened at the time, and uh, you know, you just grow a new career. And at one point, I think I was just ready. I was just like, you know, and met Larry Stone and, <laughs> and this guy. <laughs> so tell me, first of all, tell me about the experience at Evening Land. Tell me about your, first of all, your, your kind of initial impressions of Oregon and the wine industry there. So, first of all, um, I realized that diversity of like climates between sub AVAs, mm -hmm. I was very clear to me like Dundee was different than McMinnville, different than like Chehan Mountain, Ribbon Ridge, and Elamdi Hills. Mm -hmm. That was just really interesting for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm always ba my, my my baseline. Remember, it's in California and work for like wild, very wide um, range. Mm -hmm. At least for where I was working for Gallo was very like big farm and ranches. So. So I found already something that I liked. It was like more estate-driven, mm -hmm. like lower vineyards, holding, etc. Um, then Seven Springs, it's such a cool vineyard. Like it's like planted in the 80s, and to me, it's the that shows like the history of viticulture in Oregon, mm -hmm. because you have been, you can see, you can walk. There is vineyard planted in the 80s. There was planted in the 90s. 2000 and it's coming from different vineyard management company, different vineyard managers. So it's basically a different brain that came at a different time of the history of Oregon that say, okay, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And it's this this vineyard is like amazing. It's like a it's like a paint of life. It's like a time frame mm -hmm. of like how Oregon just like so that was really cool. And then I, I so some mistakes that have been done and some some things that's you know diseases and stuff like we have here mm -hmm. and uh, phylloxera and all this stuff mm -hmm. and um, yeah and then I realized there was soil differences and and then you know you, you just kind of start and then you just observe and then you know you extra like Chardonnay was great because you know at the, in 2013 a lot of people were making Chardonnay don't make me wrong, don't make me wrong but I think that Chardonnay is definitely like in the mm -hmm. in a very big like so working under Isabelle and Dominique Lafont, mm -hmm. who worked there as a consultant, was amazing because I was able to see a little bit what was going on in the in Chardonnay that made in a different way. How do you mean a different way? Well, it's like it's something that I like to say here, and I had a hard time to define it when I'm talking about it. But it's making Oregon wine with a French soul. It's like it's uh, you, you, you. It's really going to our making. Oregon wine, but we, you always try to make wine first, I think you like to drink, I hope, mm -hmm. and then also like, you have just such an idea of the grapes and what it become, and you know, we like wine with freshness, acidity, whatever people call minerality, what it means, that this is like saltiness in the wine, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and that's, 
been achieved with some very specific vineyard techniques, mm -hmm. growing season and you know wine making as well. So, so what, when you're at Evening Land, tell me about what what Evening Land was trying to present. What the, what was an Evening Land wine supposed to be? Like you talk about Seven Springs, one of the more famous vineyards around. So what were you, what were you trying it's, to make? It's a very, it's very like, I think Evening Land is, and, and like others, and I think it's a model that a lot of people try to reproduce here, and I respect that is, as winemakers, we just, uh, we just a piece that translates the, the, the place to, we, we, we need in the wine to, to, to taste the place. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. It's like, uh, it's like you, you need to farm very well, you, the best you can, and then, um, and then we're just a guardian here to just make sure like it's okay, everything goes well. I mean, there is a lot of techniques, we work a lot, but it's just, you just need to like respect the grapes from the place and bring them in there into that. Mm -hmm. So I think Evening Land and what we're trying to achieve here, it's very much like respect of the, of the place, you know. And place, there's so many different places, so. So tell me about finding your way to Lingua Franca and, and what, what appealed to you about this project? Well, that was crazy. And that is still crazy. <laughs> That's fun. So, uh, 2014, um, I was working under uh, Evening Lens, a change happened, and I was working under uh, Rash Bar and Sashi Mormon. And then we were to IPNC. I met Larry, and then uh, drinking amazing wines like we do very often, which is great. And uh, met Larry and said, oh, you, I, 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 met, I met the owner of Romane Conti, you were working there. I'm like, well, I was an intern. Just like, and then he said, um, he said uh, okay, okay, great, and uh, very nice, and you know, that's how we kind of introduce ourselves. And then I was working at Seven Springs, uh, pruning the vineyard with a crew, because I, I like to go to the vineyard as much as I can. Mm -hmm. It's harder, harder and harder, but it's very important for me to spend time there. Um, and uh, and then I was pruning with a crew, and and uh, I um, literally like saw Larry's vineyard growing. And I'm curious. I just couldn't stop, and I just asked Raj, like, give me, can you give me Larry's contact? I just just want to check out what he's doing here. You know, it's, it seems pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So I. Uh, contacted Larry and then he was in town and three days after he's like, well, let's have dinner in McMinnville. And so there was Larry and the David Honig, the, his partner. Yeah. We're just like, well, very casual conversation. What are you doing? What do you want to do? And, you know, and at one point I was just like, well, I'm ready to take on a project. Why not? You know? And uh, slowly but surely, and call me December 24th, 14, and he's like, well, do you want to make wine next year? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then it took a little while to set it up, um, and uh, we, in May, May 1st of 2015, he said, okay, we don't have grapes, we don't have bar barrels, we don't have a cellar, but let's make wine. I'm like, I was very excited, and, and then everything was like, wow. And then we're building a winery, I'm like, whoa, wow, wow. <laughs> Well, we build this winery, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have a beautiful vineyard, and then um, that um, beautiful team, mm -hmm. and it's been it's been some very challenging but amazing to like work from scratch mm -hmm. up. Dominique Lafon came on board um, as a consultant and a partner, mm -hmm. and um, trying to work hard every day to just 
trying to you know make everything we can to get all this food from the vineyard coming here and the best out of it you know we cannot make good omelets with rotten eggs so this is need to be amazing yeah so you talk about from scratch so I'm curious like that first year especially how did you sort of cobble together what you needed to make wine without really a facility or I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> I do it's my secret sauce no I don't know it was it just you know you I think the, the, the great thing about uh, the, the chance that I have is like I didn't get to be not that I don't like to do this thing I love it it's great to speak about what happened in the last five years but you know when you start something nobody knows what you're doing nobody knows you nobody knows like anything and so you just start and then you don't have any any kind of disturbing or mm -hmm. parasite or whatever things that's don't tell you to do your day job right mm -hmm. so we didn't sell wine at the time because we didn't have wine to sell so I want to say the first two years first year and a half I was just like 150 percent on the wine and that's when we started to like mm -hmm. put this wine bottle starting to like sell wine mm -hmm. starting to be you know um, more so that was kind of a, a chance mm -hmm. I think that would be that was great to to do that. Just be able to focus on just, well, you just, just the one we thing. We didn't have the chance. I mean, we, we just by nature, you know, we didn't have anything else to do by just, you know, Larry was like branding and starting to like say, well, our wine is going to be available. And but you cannot show the wine before it's finished, right? Mm -hmm. So there was no point for us to like start like going out and just say, oh, let's taste some barrel sample. The idea was just to like say slowly and surely. So that allowed me to organize really well the first year and then allow me to like design this winery mm -hmm. and with an architect and uh, make sure all my brain were, was focused on that for sure. So tell me about designing the winery. What was it you were looking for? Why the design as it is? It's a very, very, um, the way I see it, it's a very efficient flow. Mm -hmm. Uh, I visited so many wineries and I tried to look at them and as and you know the, the result of this winery for me and I want to th say thank you to a lot of wineries that have been built here and they were very nice enough to share some we would have not done that mm -hmm. you know and I had an idea in my mind but it really came to start with like something efficient it's a production place and trying to think in a way that the way we we um, approach our winemaking um, very nicely. The idea is to make premium wine, ultra premium wine, whatever you call them, mm -hmm. um, like in the best way possible, with no issue, no problem, no like restriction. Mm -hmm. So the crush pad is outside, the vineyard is on the estate, the crush pad is outside cover, so everything that is ready to food is outside. Um, this, this four plant here is very open as you can see, and we have two barrel room, one for white, one for red. And very easy. Mm -hmm. No gravity flow. It's just, you know, there's a little bit of, there is a little bit of, um, of height differences just because of the way we process, but it's very, very, very efficient. And, and the reason why I also did that is because nobody knew like where we we're going in terms of like, when you build a winery, the, with the architect we're discussing is like what is going to be your white versus red and I was like you know I put a number there but 
it was not correct. <laughs> things change. So I said we need to have a versatile, a versatile place that mm -hmm. can move easily. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's it's the thing we miss is like the. I'm very. I don't regret anything that have been done here. I think the only thing that could have been beneficial for the for the brand is having a place to taste wine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all. Like we have to like work on each other because you know we need to sell the wine, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's gonna be it's gonna change. It's gonna be great. So it, it, I mean, for me, I was just like I didn't realize it, but I'm very fortunate to have done that because a lot of winemakers in the car they don't have the chance to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm I've done that. I was 28, and it's like it's like I have a lot of, I had a lot of pressure, but also like very well surrounded very well like you know Larry Stone and David Honig and Dominique Lafouin their architect is amazing too and and so it's like it's like I was very well surrounded to not make mistake uh, yeah and it was a change in 16 because we made one here and but we didn't have doors <laughs> and this tank here came the day before we got fruits oh. good timing very good timing <laughs> very good timing but um, it was just, it, it's, it's just great, you know, and, um, and it became also something that uh, we were um, not thinking about doing, but we did, it's uh, doing a custom crush mm -hmm. activity, and it's a big part of our business now, so um, the things that I've developed here, I, I see those, these tanks cannot be empty. For me, it's it's we can't do that. It's just a function of the en enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we can we make that much wine, and we have that much room. So the difference is we need to sell the space. And I was like, this is one of the coolest, newest, hopefully well-made winery mm -hmm. in the valley. Mm -hmm. And um, I was selling a service and say, hey, this is the one we make, and if you want to make wine that has the same idea around you have you have room here mm -hmm. so we have today amazing people here that make wine um, great partners and this collaboration it's a lot of work but it's it was a team that I work with Kimberly and Joe to I think that help us to like learn to grow uh, and uh, to you know the collaborative idea is to it's an incubator, you know, mm -hmm. just like we, there's too much secret in the wine. We should just talk more about it, being honest with what we're doing and just say, okay, this is, this is it. This is, we press, we do that. Sometimes there is a mistake. Sometimes it's not as good as we want, but um, having other people that do things allows us to understand better our process and hopefully make better wine. When we saw the facility yesterday, one of the things I was intrigued by was the eaves that Larry pointed out, all the yep. outside covered space. Yep. Tell me about that and the decision to do that, if you can remember. Well, I can remember, but I don't know. It's always this tricky part with Larry. Okay. But, uh, I mean, for me, the eave outside, do you mean the eave, like, on the outside? Where, like, the, 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 the caskets are, or the casks are. Yeah, and just, the, uh, I mean, the, the function of it, at least the one I wanted to, just to cover, cover the tank, put shade, mm -hmm. and make sure, like, we, uh, we have that... Um, Make sure we have that uh, figured out to storage and you know. So, sure. Yeah. But um, there is way more different functions that are cool here. Oh yeah. <laughs>
we try to like everything is very um, everything is made in a way that everything going to almost internet it's all like um, it's going through internet so we have a different like temperature control um, that's when my phone um, Kim who is the SO winemaker like integrate like some system to like I mean, everything is like basically on barcode and it's it's great it's like a, we we only three here to basically make around 20,000 cases of wine yeah. um, and we work a lot but it's very efficient because we we follow up on a lot of things and um, yeah it's a beautiful space to make wine it's I'm very lucky sure and people that make wine they're lucky too <laughs> yeah just a second what is that what should people wander through so you mentioned a little bit earlier that you, you talked about how, the importance of the vineyard and, and kind of your sure. role. So how, how would you describe your winemaking philosophy? What is it you're trying to do as a it's, winemaker? It's like always like a, I don't like this title. Because I don't think, you know, it's like, um, you know, a, a reflection of what I've done here is like, I, did, I was selling wine at one point. It's like, it's like, I was a startup. It's like being big part of a startup. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of different things and more and more it's like my role is defined more towards I don't know production things. I hate the tale of winemaker it doesn't make sense to me because um, because it's it's like we have to go in the vineyard um, and if you don't go to the vineyard you just I don't understand how can you make the wine. I just don't I don't understand. <laughs> uh, and in winemakers that, you know, there is no vineyard term that's resonates. So, I don't know, it's, um, for me, my, my role today is to um, make sure that, you know, it's all, it's all, everything that falls under production. Mm -hmm. And making sure this vineyard is going the best way we want, and it's for like years to come. We hired a vineyard manager who is fantastic. Uh, last year, so we trying to like put like in-house. Um, it's it's gonna change a lot of things for us. Um, and in the winery, just like it directs the philosophy and trying to like. Sometimes I cannot explain everything. There's choice or why we do that. Sometimes it's by experience. Sometimes it's learning. And I. I just um, yeah. It's, trying to like make sure all this process is flowing all together and, and also like being a good manager, trying to work with you know people learning. I'm I'm you know my advantage, my disadvantage is like being young. It's like being young it's it's like who I am to be a mentor, you know, mm -hmm. to someone. Mm -hmm. But at the same time I feel like I hope like the people that I work with every day is to just like um, learn from me and then they learn from what they're doing and they participate as much as they can and trying to like break a lot of things between oh this is a winery this is a vineyard and trying to like make sure everybody understand and participate into the process makes sense yeah so you've been you've been with Linger Franca for pretty much from the start. I'm, I was the first employee, very first one. So tell me what makes it unique. What is it? What is it you're striving for here? That's 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 unique. What is it? What does Lingua Franca stand for? Well, as I probably told you, it's you know means universal language, mm -hmm. which I think it's a great way to like it's a great umbrella below which we have so many different people from coming from so many different places that bring something here. Mm -hmm. You know, David Honig, former attorney, 
financial guy, then, you know, Dominique Lafont from France, myself being younger Larry, you know, you, you talked to him yesterday, so you just, you're gonna have to watch his interview. <laughs> you couldn't possibly sum him up in a couple of words. You can't, so no. you can't sum it, it's okay. Uh, but that's him, so it's, um, Lingua Franca, it's something unique because it's such a great project. It started from everything from scratch. Think about it. Like we, it's not like someone did an acquisition of a winery and a vineyard and changed the name or whatsoever. It's like we started from zero. The vineyard, I'm the first one to have made, like this wine is the first vintage from this vineyard. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the winery is like, I'm the, you know, Lingua Franca is like the, just put that out of the ground, you know? Um, and, and I think it's a combination of uh, a lot of experiences. You know, Larry, the way how Larry planted the vineyard, um, the, the, the idea of how we're gonna farm this vineyard, um, this vineyard is farmed organic, never seen an herbicide, and it's, you know, Mimi Cassie was involved and helped us and helped me to like make sure like I was, we were spending enough time and effort and thought into the development of this place. So, um, you know, the unicity of it is, is, is always complicated to explain, but for me, it's like, it's always like coming from, we literally started, like, we're very fortunate. Nothing was here before. Mm -hmm. You bought the land, put in a vineyard, build a wine. It's cool. Just like that. And you know, we only have three vintages on the market, and it's 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 going fast. Um, and it's Larry's baby. Uh, it's it's you know it's something we wanted to do. He become my baby too, by extension, you know. <laughs> but um, it's it's amazing that he had this like you know idea, and just this land is available, and I'm going to be able probably to get it and close to like some of the best vineyards in the area. And we started in 15 with buying grapes from everywhere, right? And then we started in 16 and the more, the more, the more we go, we almost like 90% estate. Mm. The only fruit we buy is from Mimi Castile, Hopewell for Pinot Noir, mm. yeah, Chardonnay. So we, have to, we still have to purchase fruit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. So you talked about Larry quite a bit, obviously, mm -hmm. as sort of one of the brainchild of this project here. Tell me about working for him first of all why do you think he, he chose you to be his first employee on this project <laughs> on this project because i'm taller than him <laughs> no. no no um the reason I, I it's hard to say um i don't know i think he's he sees in me maybe being young and you know i think he was my, my resume was i was very lucky i worked in some very amazing places and i think that really helped me mm -hmm. to be quickly where i am right now um Still have to prove myself every day, but it's uh, it's been awesome to have been working for the Dujac family and at Romane Conti that really opened me some doors. Um, <laughs> and I think that you know the connection with him being me. I didn't work at Eveningland because Larry Larry was already gone, but I worked there, and so you know this interesting connection with Eveningland, mm -hmm. who he started with Mark Talov, that that brought a lot of like I think idea in his mind is like, well, he knows a little bit what's going on when I started here. I already knew the area here, and then I see uh, the vineyard growing, and yeah, and here I am.
Yeah. <laughs> and between him and Dominique Lafon, obviously some pretty well-known people in the wine world that are partners in this in this in this enterprise. So tell me about you mentioned kind of the pressure of being young in this kind of project. Yeah. Tell me about how that how that kind of manifests for you. How is it working in this kind of environment? You mean with the, uh, I think I don't know. I'm trying to like I think the the world of wine is very uh, there's a lot of winemakers that have a lack of humility and I'm trying to um, I don't know in my culture it's not very in France it's not there's not a lot of people like that you know I think it's we're not doctors we're not surgeons we don't save people we actually make them very drunk <laughs> I mean sure we do at the end of the day right so I think for me um, or if not very drunk I hope they enjoy you know um, but I think that um, for me for me my uh, um, I don't know uh, I think trying to be humble um, towards what we're trying to create and trying to like avoid like all the parasite around you know this industry mm -hmm. that is very like egos and like you know mm -hmm. the winemaker mm -hmm. like the the trophy the the king the, this is not my thing this thing I just want we, we need to make that the best mm -hmm. and it's very easy very easy to screw it and so it's 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 a lot of work but um, um, yeah I mean I don't know it's just for me it's past it's past me you know yeah. just I think now we went through I mean I don't know yeah. when I went, uh, when I was a Romane Conti I opened some doors and I that's maybe why I'm not scared it's like I was there and I realized like they have 30 hectares of Grand Cru that's it so you don't drop one drop of wine on the ground it's like you can't it's just the respect the amount of time, effort, labor that centuries that was like put in these vineyards is you just do. I mean, I don't know. There is a form of aura around them that just say, no, 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 you have to be very careful. And you really quickly realize it. And um, the way they are as people, too. These people are just like, well, we just, this land is, it's, sacred you know it's, it's something coming from wherever we don't know we have it it's probably the best thing we can have and we want to make and translate something amazing we're, we're not we're nothing you know it's like we have to like make sure this is going well and there's so much challenge you know with global global uh, i mean the climate change and and you know the heat you know the heat last year was tricky and and um, the lack of water and then um it's it's gonna be a constant challenge, mm -hmm. always. But that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Convincing yourself? <laughs> no, no. It's it's uh, it's it's always like new things. And um, I listened to an interview from a great winemaker from California, uh, Chardonnay winemaker. Uh, and then it's always like he said, and he's been making Chardonnay. He's been famous to make Chardonnay for like years and decades in California. And it as the last minute of his interview he says like it's incremental progress every year and it's like it's if we stop learning in the winemaking and vineyard process and I'm, I'm stopping to make wine I mean there's no point mm -hmm. we learn every year always something new always mm. you talked early on about the the, the the combination of the vineyard, the wine, the make, making the wine, selling the wine, all the mm -hmm. whole process of winemaking, how unique it is, and you've worked in all kind of all parts of that. Yeah. So tell me what appeals to you the most about about your job. What is it your What is your favorite thing about being in the wine industry? That's the prime. I love the three, but I, 
you cannot do three. <laughs> I think you cannot. I think you have. You can do. If you if you say there is a vineyard, and the wine and the cells, you have to choose a two out of the three. You cannot do the three. Only one person can. There is only one person in Oregon I think can do it. Who's that? John Thomas. That's it. He has four acres. He makes his wine. He sells it. I think he's the only one. Um, and. And you know, it's amazing when you look at him and see like, wait, he has four acres or five acres and he makes 600 cases of wine and he's been around for like 25 years and, and even more. Um, so there's always things that are more happening than others, but uh, I think to me, um, the thing that I've learned here is like, it's like you, you know, I, I was able to like probably possibly shift in different direction when this winery is, as the winery grows and and I think I'm more comfortable just because of maybe my background, my experience and the theory. <laughs> but it's, I'm, I'm way better here. I'm not saying I cannot sell wine, it's just more like I should be here, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I will help to sell wine, but it's, it cannot be like 100% of my focus. We have, there's, there's people that do that way better than me. <laughs> on their job. As, as you're looking at them, as you're looking ahead, you're still, Lingua Franca is still pretty brand new, like you say, mm -hmm. only three vintages in. What do you see for the future? What do you see like 10 years down the road here? You mentioned, you mentioned a tasting room. Is that something that... Yeah, we're going to like, you know, we hire people here to like, as we grow and then we're going to um, build a hospitality center mm -hmm. of some sort, uh, drive people here to us. Um, and um, the future is, I don't know, man. We'll see. <laughs> it's no. I think I think the the the, the challenge will be uh, the really great things that can happen. It's like I would like to be able to get all the fruits we have uh, from this vineyard here. Um, we sell a little bit of fruit, uh, and then we 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 buy fruit. And I would like to at one point in the next ten years to arrive where. We are 100% estate, mm -hmm. with uh, between um, between our vineyard here and between Bunker Hill, which is uh, Chardonnay uh, vineyard that we lease in Southside. Mm -hmm. And I think if we arrive to do that, I mean that's for me that's kind of I would like to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be fantastic. Is there are you, uh, is there any potential for more vineyard, more growth, more more bottles, something different? More bottles. Yeah, more bottles we can, um, always. We have room. Um, more vital, maybe, that would be cool. Um, I love to experiment. I really love to experiment things. So it's um, it's like, if I can, that would be great to like introduce other varietals, but we'll see. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I feel like in our society, we just want to go too quick. Mm -hmm. And I think right now we're, we're starting to see ourselves pacing in a great, great, like for Lingua Franca. And I, I just think that, you know, we can take a big breather, mm -hmm. look at where we are maybe for one or two years, and then just like, maybe like, mm -hmm. go to the next step after. Because, you know, when you want to go too quick, sometimes you make mistakes, you don't think enough, I think. and. You know, there's one thing you cannot beat. You cannot beat nature timeline. You can't. You can't do that. Nature dictates how things should go. Uh, and um, 
sometimes when we want to go too fast, it's, you know, it's not good. So, as far as lingua franca is that, and, you know, um, myself, you know, I'm, I'm still young enough that my dream is to eventually have a vineyard or something of some sort, but it's okay, we'll see. I just need to, like, people to stop raising their property prices right now. That would be great. <laughs> Eventually, they'll start going down again, right? Right. We'll see. Huh? We'll see. No, but uh, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting... Uh, it's, it's the reason why I'm saying that is, even though I find farming and farming more complicated as I'm, like, more involved in, in, into it, um, I think that there is... Deeply inside me, I'm like, there is... I don't know if it's because I cannot do it in Burgundy and I can do it here, but... Um, but everything, every, every day it changed because I also don't believe that we should plant more. I think there's plenty of vineyards here and we should take care of the vineyard already here rather than planting, but, but also like if I have, can plant, you know, it's... <laughs> I just don't want to dis disturb the environment. I think a lot of, we, we, we've been doing a lot of, like, it was pretty hurtful for the landscape and I think we should stop like cutting trees and, you know, and I've been, respecting a lot what Mimi Castile is trying to like embrace and talk and also like it's just makes so much sense. There is so many vineyards, we have so much fruit in Oregon, why would we need to plant more? Like we should be in a good basis right now, eventually, I hope, you know. So on that note, as, as you look ahead for the Oregon wine industry, mm -hmm. what do you see as you, again, say 10 years in the future, what do you see happening here in Oregon? I want someone to make a big Chardonnay Winery. We need someone that makes a lot of Chardonnay. I just think it's it's such an amazing grapes. It works so well in Oregon, and I just want that to happen. I don't know who's gonna do it. Just want it to happen. <laughs> I just think it's cool because it's such a great varietals, and there is so much like diversity. It's 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 a it's 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 a grape that is. Um, it's a winemaker grapes. Mm -hmm. People are gonna kill me. Uh, it's a winemaker grapes. You, you, you adapt, you adapt a, a lot of things that happen in there. It's an adaptation to the seller and what you do. Um, of course, there is some impact of the farming practices. Don't make me wrong, but it's just fascinating. I mean, think about Champagne, or it's it's a it's a good example. Like it's. It's a wine with bubbles, right? It's Chardonnay. I mean, there is also Pinot Noir, but it's it's um, it's fascinating to. Uh, I want to see Chardonnay going into another direction. Mm -hmm. People tend to think that there is less attraction for Chardonnay in the market. I don't think so. Feels like that's changing right now, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there is really like there's report reports that says that we are not selling as much on in Oregon but or like in the I'm sorry in America but I think it's I think it's not true I think a lot of people are excited I think uh, I think we need a lot of people are planting Chardonnay they're just planting Chardonnay vineyards everywhere so I think at one point there's going to be someone that's going to come and just do a reverse Pinot Noir winery and just do like 90% Chardonnay 10% Pinot or something like that maybe me one time I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Any day, any day now. Any day now you can. Uh, no, one day. One day. No, but it's. Uh, I don't know. It's fascinating because uh, we. 
I, once again, it's such a cool grapes, and uh, I love making Pinot. Don't make me wrong, but uh, I think it's harder to make Chardonnay. I think it's harder to make. Why so, is that? It's more detail oriented. It's. I don't know if it's because I feel more comfortable making Pinot Noir. I never make really. I was really never involved to make Chardonnay in Burgundy. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to Chardonnay in Oregon, which is kind of interesting. But I, um, but by making more and more Chardonnay, I always like, wow! It's always we face new challenges, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's naked. It's it's like you press the grapes and the juice, and this is wine. It's like um, it's like the Chardonnay is basically uh, how much makeup do you want to put on it? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, it's basically like. The way I see the grape, so you can do a very good job. You can be very ugly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for someone who wanted to join the Oregon wine industry today? Uh, which level? Every every level. Any, possible? any any level. Say say someone coming just coming out of college who wanted to join the industry. Yeah. Um, I think patience is very important. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, first of all, it's a great time to come to Oregon. The community is fantastic. It's been, you know, I've been here for like, since 2013, and I've been absolutely amazed. I mean, the welcome here, the people, the mentorship from, like, I don't know, I've seen you discuss to Ken and Erica, and I worked under Ian Birch, and I worked under Isabel Meunier, and um, I worked so many great people. I'm a very good friend with the Bergstrom family and Steve Garner. And those people have been amazing to me. And um, this is a very wel welcoming uh, industry. Um, and people are challenging themselves all the time, trying to do the best, trying to question themselves. Um, but as if you go out of college and you want to make wine, it's just like, um, just think about the, the wine as a, as a business too. Mm -hmm. It's an enterprise. People always forget. It's like, you have to, it's numbers. It's, it's like you, it's magic. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't think it's an art. I think it's a craft. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also a craft. Um, and you know, you, you farm something, you grow something, and you transform this thing that has a cost, and then you have to sell the product in order to make sure it keep works. You know, um, it's a it's a very intense industry too because we discussed about it, vineyards and wine and sales. Mm -hmm. It's one of the only industry where you can be part of the three, mm -hmm. and um, and that I think is um, very um, how can I say that it's very attracting, but it also can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So patience and for people and just make sure they know what they want to do and mm -hmm. stick to it for a while and be nice, being humble, trying to be humble. It's 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 you know it's not easy sometimes. It's you know when you you know you meet a lot of journalists and people like that and they like you wine and etc. It's it's I get it, you know it's it's it feels good but it's also like it's just wine. Just go home. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's and it's it's a very uh, it's a very competitive uh, industry where 
you always have to do your best and uh, doing your best is questioning yourself and always rethinking why I do I do that how and what's next and you know All the, all the questions that I have for you today. Yeah. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? I think it was pretty good. Covered it? All yeah. Right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much yeah. for being part of us today. Thank and, you. Uh, adding your story to the collection. And uh, Thank you very much. We'll, we'll let you off the hook here. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.